0: Hello, Grace Church. Good to see you again. We are having a wonderful morning together, and we have been in a powerful series called Unshakable Truth. And so it's been an apologetic series, learning how to defend our faith. And it's been powerful. If you've missed any of those, you can go back and watch them um, on our podcast and and the video messages. You can watch those, uh, which would be awesome. And so today we are wrapping up that series And as you can see, we have a panel today. And so, what we asked you to do was to submit some really challenging questions that you have about your faith things maybe that have been unanswered, things that that you've questioned a long time, maybe in regards to your faith, in regards to God or the Bible. And so, you submitted some awesome questions. And so, we're actually going to take some time today and answer those questions because we want to equip you. We want you to be equipped. First of all, to defend your faith, and second of all, to answer some of these tough questions because if you have them, odds are someone around you has that exact same question, and maybe even someone at some point has asked you that question and you haven't been able to answer it. And so now we want to equip you to be able to do exactly that. And so we are excited today to have a panel, so I just want to take a moment and allow the panel to introduce themselves. So, we'll start right here.
1: Everybody, I am Aaron Olinsky. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. If you're new, welcome. Like, we're glad that you're here. You picked a great week to come on your first Sunday uh, here at Grace, and so we're excited about what we have for you.
2: Good morning to the light. I forgot that you can't see anything when you're sitting here. It's just light. But good morning, everyone. I'm Cindy Killen, and I am the Discover Track leader. So, when you're new and you come in, I get to help you integrate into Grace Church. Glad you're here.
3: Yeah, I'm Nick O'Brien. I'm the worship pastor here at Grace Church, and it's great to see everybody this morning.
0: Awesome. So, this is our panel this morning, and we are just going to start and dive into some of these tough questions. And so, we're going to start this morning with Pastor Nick. Um, And his question is, how do we know the Bible is true even though it is written by men?
3: Yeah, so that's a huge question and an appropriate place to start, right? Because if the Bible is not true, then what are we doing here? Um, It shapes all of our worldview. It shapes our faith. It shapes the way we see things around us. It shapes our relationships with each other. And so it's crucial that, that we believe that the Bible is true. But at the same time, it is also thousands of years old. And so how do you verify that a book, a collection of books and scrolls is that's thousands of years old, how do you verify that, that that's true? And so from a theological standpoint, I want to start at Second Timothy 3.16, which begins with the first few words saying, all scripture is inspired by God. And so theologically speaking, like, that's checkmate right there. That's the end of the discussion. If, if there is a God who created the universe and who sent his son to die on behalf of us and who knows everything and who cannot tell a lie and he's inspired a, a work of literature and it's inspired by him, then that work of literature is true, right? But also, I realize that it's a little bit of circular logic to say, because the Bible says that the Bible is true, then we have to trust that the Bible is true. And so from a theological standpoint, it works, but we have to go a little bit deeper, don't we, especially if we're having this conversation with people that don't believe the same th- or in the same God that we believe. And so if we had an hour or if we had a few weeks to, to go through like a 101 class, it would be awesome to be able to. Talk through um, archaeology and artifacts that have been discovered, ancient societies that we didn't think existed that were in the Bible, but nobody thought they were real until a hundred years ago. When suddenly we realized, wait a second, this was a real society. The Bible didn't make it up, um, or the manuscripts, where we have so many more manuscripts of the New Testament than we have of Homer's works, like the Odyssey and the Iliad, or Plato or Aristotle. We have so many more manuscripts of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and and they date back to super close to the, to the original date of those writings, and so. There's so many historical things that we could look at to verify that not only is this book reliable, not only is it, is it a real book that comes from history, but also that as it's been translated and copied and inscribed over time, that it's remained shockingly consistent. Um, and I would I- even encourage you, if, if this is a subject you're interested in or a question that you have, to to look into the dead sea Scrolls, which were discovered just about 70 years ago but have really proved a lot of the things that we believed about the Bible but didn't have a lot of proof for until they were discovered. so look into the dead sea Scrolls. but because we don't have time to do to, to talk about all those details and, and use example after example, um, I just want to kind of ask a bigger question about what do we mean when we ask, is the Bible true in what in what lens are we approaching the Bible when we ask that question? and so as we come to it are we asking is this an accurate history or are we asking is this a book that's supposed to tell me about the god that i worship um so let me give you an example a story that that might help to to understand that if after church today if you were to pull me aside and ask me to tell you about my wedding day with my wife then i would tell you some some nice memories maybe some funny stories i might tell you how beautiful she looked coming down the aisle i might share share with you some some just nice little things that that are nice memories of that day that would really try to convey to you not only how wonderful of a day it is, but still how much I love my wife now, and it would be a a nice, feel-good moment. But if I were to get a call this afternoon and they said, this is an agent from the FBI, and we believe that your wedding was the source of a major crime, and we need a detailed eyewitness testimony, I would tell a very different story of the exact same event, wouldn't I? And so as we go to the Bible, I just want to encourage you, as you're asking, is this true? Yes, of course we believe it's true. But the Bible doesn't hinge on whether or not the history is exactly what it says because they're not trying to tell us a history, but they're trying to tell us a theology. And so there's a fascinating verse in 1 in Kings chapter 14 that we would probably glance right over if we were just reading through the Old Testament. But I think it should really shape the way we read scripture because the author of 1 Kings is telling us about a king named Jeroboam. And after he gets done with the stories about Jeroboam, he says in, in chapter 14 verse 19, The rest of the events in Jeroboam's reign, including all his wars and how he ruled, are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. And so that is not another book in the Bible. Apparently, ancient Israel had a history book. And so the author of 1 Kings is well aware that he is not writing a history book. He's writing a book that's supposed to tell us about God. So when you ask the question, is the Bible true? And as you go and as you read scripture, I just want to encourage you to go go to it with the question, what does this say about the God that I worship? Ask the question, what did the author of this book want me to know about God? And I think that's the the primary thing we should be asking when we approach the Bible.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that, Pastor Nick. That was awesome. Really helpful, really foundational. And um, I know that a lot of times we run a connection group here at Grace Church that's all about apologetics as well, that goes into the historical Details of the artifacts and all that kind of stuff. So, in the future, you can look for that connection group as well. Um, that would probably connect a lot more of the dots for you. So, um, but moving on, we have our next question, and this question is actually going to come from one of our lead team members. So, um, from Jeff Godwin, who is not able to be with us today. So, he's sent a video for us for his question. But Jeff Godwin is on our board here at Grace Church, and he's been a part of our church for um, from the very very beginning, and um, has been very uh, great in his leadership with us at the church. And so he's answering this question for us, which is why is Jesus the only way to heaven? And then what about those who never hear about Jesus? So let's hear what Jeff has to say to us for that.
4: Good morning, Grace Church. I'm sorry that I can't be with you in person this morning, but Joe and I are watching you online from Gainesville. Pastor Nicole was kind enough to uh, give me a question and let me answer it via video, so here goes. And my question is, uh, why is Jesus the only way to heaven, and what about the people who have never heard of him? And it's, those are really good questions, questions I've heard a lot and questions I once had myself. I grew up in a Christian home, but when I became a young adult, uh, like many of us, I started to question and doubt my beliefs. I was in college at the time, and uh, I had college professors challenging me as well, so I was probably part of it, and um, I actually did some study of uh, different world religions to try to learn more about them, to try to answer those questions, and somewhere along the line I heard an illustration that God was at the top of the mountain and that there were many paths to get to God, and that just sounded really good to me. I liked that, so for a long time I believed it. Uh, We had kids, and um, as they got older, we wanted them to learn about God, so we started going back to church and Sunday school again. And I met people there who uh, lived their life like Jesus did, like Jesus taught. Um, They loved me unconditionally. They thought about other people before themselves, and um, they were different. And I wondered, you know, if Jesus could make a difference in my life. Well, so uh, one day um, we were studying John 14:6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I realized that one of two things had to be true. Either Jesus was a liar or he was the Lord. And if he was the only way to the Father, then other religions were not the way. And if these other religions were the way, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross the way he did? It just didn't make any sense. So I decided to put my faith in Jesus and to believe him. So I prayed um, that he would be my Lord and Savior, uh, that he would forgive me of my sins, and that I asked him to be the Lord of my life. And I put my life in his hands instead of trying to earn my way to heaven. Well, it gave me a great sense of peace after I did that. Um, I live my life still trying to be a good person, but more out of gratitude to God than trying to earn my way to heaven. Um, I still screw up all the time, but I'm forgiven and life's a lot easier now because when I have questions about what I should do I can go to the Bible and learn God's Word. So is Jesus the only way? Well that's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus said. So what is it? Is he a liar or is he the Lord? The second part of the question is what about those who have never heard of Jesus? And the Bible has the answer for that too. Um, In Romans chapter 2, Paul is talking about the Jewish law, and he addresses those who don't know God's law. He says, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it, more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but it's woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. Their response to God's yes and no will become public knowledge on the day God makes his final decision about every man and woman. The message from God that I proclaim through Jesus Christ takes into account all these differences. So those that do not know Jesus are judged by what they do know. But as for us who do know about Jesus, Acts 30, excuse me, Acts 17, 30 through 31 says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Put your faith in Jesus. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Grace Church.
0: That was awesome. So powerful. Um, I hope that you are just gleaning wisdom from these these answers and these tough questions and um, that that you're going to be able to use these to solidify your faith and those around you. It's so powerful for us and So now we're going to hear from Cindy, and she's going to be answering the question why is it important that I go to church? And if I'm a good person, won't I just be
2: able to go to heaven? Good morning. I'm the least seasoned, so I'm going to use my notes here. But I do want to just say I love the realness up here. Um, I have There's a, a bottle of Lysol spray cleaner right <laughs> in front of us <laughs> and some rags, <laughs> you know, that we've been wiping things down. So <laughs> it's just so real up here. But uh, I work as a chaplain at a business tree, and that is um, – we're a ministry that does business primarily with the Christian community. And we have about 720 employees. And when the coronavirus hit, about 700 of us began working off or remotely immediately. It was really pretty incredible that we did it almost seamlessly. But my work as a chaplain at that time actually skyrocketed. I had people contact me, and I have two other coworkers for prayer, um, and and they had some some great concerns, and some of their family members were getting sick. And then my team of three began reaching out to every employee, and we do that routinely. But we found something very interesting Most of those people, and mind you, everyone I work with has professed to be a Christian, but most of those people who we worked with who were already really connected to a local church, meaning that they went most Sundays and they served somewhere or they were involved in something like a home group, but most of those who were really connected needed much less care and were overall less frightened, whoops, and were overall less frightened than those who, for whatever reason, weren't connected. So, As much as we today zoom, Skype, Meet, Teams, you all know what I'm talking about, we're still in our own spaces, aren't we? And we see how difficult it is many times to supersede that separateness. And there are things that we can do that can help so especially for those of you who are are watching online you know throw something in chat and start talking to each other or if you're attending something via a zoom brush your hair and turn the camera on well for some of you i guess you can't brush your hair i live with one brush your teeth and turn the camera on so um but what what we want to do is to make sure that we connect because when we're together we see one another for who we really are and we crave authenticity and truth today don't we I mean it's an election year do we not crave authenticity and truth amen that's the biggest amen we've got all morning all right so but we also we crave being accepted despite our um, our idiosyncrasies our weaknesses you know our mistakes And even more, we crave that people will know the good side of ourselves. Um, We want people to like us for who we are. And most of us, even introverts to a degree, we want people to want to be with us, right? I can't see your head shaking, but I'm going to assume that they are, okay? All right. God is very relational just like that. And we're created in his image. He wanted to be with us and to restore the lost connection that we had so badly that he gave part of himself, his son, to come to earth to ransom us or to actually pay with his life so that we could have a relationship with our father. The Bible that that you just shared, Nick, is God's instruction to us, and it's true. The Bible is truth. It instructs us, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So we want to start thinking about those ways. How can I motivate the people I live with and the people in my body, in my church body, to acts of love and good works? And... Let us not neglect our meeting together. There it is in black and white. It doesn't matter what version you you read it in. It might say don't forsake the meeting together, but don't let us neglect the meeting together. And even if that is by Zoom with your camera on or by Facebook Live, we don't want to neglect those things. Um, as some people do, but encourage one another by meeting together. That's what this means, encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The Chronicles of Narnia writer C.S. Lewis wrote, what draws people to be friends is that they see the same truth. They share it. And we share the same truth. That's what we're doing today. We're sharing the truth with you. You know, um, last month, the PEW, its PEW data center, they released a, a study that said that teens with parents who are very committed to church and religious practices are extremely likely to say that they share their parents' belief. That's hugely important to me. All right. That truth that we crave is this, and, and I'm just reiterating what, what Nick has already said, what Mr. Godwin, and for some reason his first name's not coming to me, already said, I know him. But um, no matter how good we are, I'm sorry, let me, let me go back. The truth we share is that there is no other name by which we can be saved for eternity but the name of Jesus Now, you've heard that three times now. There's no other name but the name of Jesus. No matter how good we are, there's nothing we can do, not even church attendance, which we know is good and right. The word tells us that it is. But there's nothing that we can do to earn a way into heaven. It took payment for our sin or all of our wrongdoing. It's a free gift from God, not a reward for the things that we've done. It's like the old song, some of you know, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. There are examples from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, through the very last book of the New Testament, um, Revelation, of God's people being called to meet together, right? We're called to meet together for celebration, for fasting and repentance, for worship, and we get the opportunity to respond. We've done that today. All of you chose, whether online or you're here in this room, we chose to respond that today. In Ephesians, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And we're also told, or or God's word instructs us, meet together to encourage one another, to hear the word, and to grow.
0: Awesome. Love that so much, Cindy. Yeah. And I think we've all felt that being away from being able to meet together in person for months, you know, where we were, all of us were online, right? And we weren't be able to be in person. That was, there was something missing. And so I know many of you felt that. And that was just our physical being together because there is power in that, like she shared with us. There's power in our physical presence together where we encourage each other. You see someone's face. Um, you can tell if they're walking through something in life. So that's so powerful. and uh, We miss all of you that are online, but we know at some point we will see you again, and we can't wait for that day. Well, I'm going to answer another tough question for us this morning, which is, why is there evil and suffering in the world, and why do bad things happen to good people? This is one you may have been struggling in your life for a long time. I know Um, I remember my first encounter with this was when I was a young child, actually, and so um, my parents were pastors as I was growing up. They had a church, and so I was very involved in the families in the church, and I took care of a lot of the kids and the babies because I loved the kids and the babies, so I was in the nursery and the kids' rooms all the time serving, and I knew a lot of the families, and so there was a family in our church that had a baby, and Unfortunately, the baby was born with a lot of issues and a lot of deformities, and it only was able to live for a short time and passed away. And so I just remember that as a young child, and I just loved being with the kids and the babies in our church. And so when I found out about this little baby that had died, it just broke my heart. And I thought, why? why does this baby have to suffer and die like this? And it um, just really uh, <laughs> was really hard because we actually hosted the funeral for that family as well. And I remember walking into the sanctuary behind the, the parents and we got to the doorway where you go in and you could just see this little white casket at the very front. And the mom just about fell to her knees just, um, and I just, took all of, the, I saw all of that happening, and I saw that little casket myself, and just, you know, breaks your heart, right? I mean, it breaks why. You wonder why, and you ask God, and maybe you get angry at God, and maybe you've been in a similar situation, and, and you are angry with God, and you don't understand, and it doesn't make sense, Um, but to answer this question, we actually have to go back to the very, very beginning. We have to go back to creation where God created the heaven and the earth and everything in it. And everything that he created had a plan and a purpose. Every animal, every plant, man, woman, everything was created with a purpose. And everything was perfect. So God created everything. Everything functioned perfectly. Everything had a perfect design. Uh, There was no death. Everything was flourishing and alive and had purpose. Okay, and so everything was functioning perfectly, and then God gave man and woman one thing that they could not do, and he said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and so he told them that, and so with creation, God gave Adam and Eve many blessings, there was many blessings, right, there was abundance, there was life, they were to be fruitful, they were to multiply, all these blessings, right, well, we kind of know the story, right? Adam and Eve chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, things changed. And with that, every blessing they were given actually got reversed. So God didn't just remove those blessings, but he actually reversed them. And so the blessings actually became a curse at that time. And so if you remember at creation, when God created, when he finished what he created, remember the phrase he said? He said, this is good. This is good. And so guess what the reversal of this is good is? Evil. So the reversal of good is evil. And so the moment that Adam and Eve chose that, that is when evil and suffering entered the world in that moment. And so God had to remove his sovereign hand from the earth, from his creation. He had to remove his hand in that moment. And the world, ever since then, has been at war with itself. God cannot dwell where there is sin. And so God had to remove himself. And so the reason there's evil and suffering isn't because God allows it. It's actually because of the nature of this world has become evil. And and that happened as soon as sin entered it. And that has then become the new normal of our world. And so you might ask yourself, okay, well, I get that. You know, things, evil, there's evil in the world because of the sin. But why does that have to happen to good people? It still doesn't make sense to me because there's some really, really good people. And so this answer is a little bit hard for me to share with you. um, But it comes straight from scripture and it's, it's right from the, from the Bible. And the answer is, there are truly no good people. And it really might kind of blow your mind when I say that, but there really truly are no good people. Only God is truly good. And so I'm going to share this passage with you out of Romans and they're comparing one group of people to another group of people saying, well, which, which one is better than the other? Or, aren't some of these people good and the other people aren't so good? And they're referring to basically the Jews and the Gentiles. But this is what it says in Romans 3, verse 10 to 12. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so we are not what we were designed to be. If you look back at creation, we had an original design and original purpose, which was perfect and good. Well, we do we are not, we don't have that design anymore because of the sin that entered the world. Now we are broken, twisted, and evil. And it even says in Jeremiah 17:9 that the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so in our heart, because of the sin in this world, our heart is bent toward evil. And and it's just a part of who we are now. And so although most of us appear to be good, right? In fact, you would look at yourself and say, well, man, I I am a good person. You know, I'm not out murdering people and I'm not out, you know, hurting people or deliberately causing harm to people or whatever. You might, I'm not abusing someone. So when you look at yourself in comparison to someone else, you probably could say, yeah, I'm a good person, right? And so it's really hard for us to kind of understand this, Um, but it is because of sin that we are no longer what we were originally designed to. To be. And so, why doesn't God intervene and stop all of it? Why doesn't He intervene and stop all the sickness, all the death, all the murder, all the violence? Because the evil in this world cannot be made right until He sends Jesus back to this world and this world is made new. That is the only time it all will end. And so, it's actually God's mercy that he holds himself back from intervening because he's actually waiting for more lost sons and daughters to find him. And it tells us in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so God doesn't stop the evil and the suffering Because he wants all of his children to live with him in eternity. And so he is being patient so that they have a chance to hear about him and to choose to accept him. And so now we are going to. Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Now we are going to have Pastor Aaron close us up today. Um, and so he's going to wrap things up. He's got another awesome, powerful question.
1: Yeah, this has been good, man. I, I appreciate your questions and you guys submitting them. Just, it's, this is a different format than, than normal for us, uh, but it just is great. I just love the, just the casualness but and the realness, but just the power that, and, and the answers that are coming. So I hope these are answering some of your questions. And so one of the ones that, that came in was, why in Scripture... Are there times when God would harden people's hearts? Uh, What a great question. This is actually a question that I've had in my life as well. There are multiple examples when you look through Scripture where all of a sudden you see, and, and even literally it would say that God hardened this person's heart. A few of the examples, uh, one of them is just where you, you read about the, the, the nation of Israel, the Jews, where there's the prophet Isaiah where he says that their eyes won't see, their ears won't hear, their hearts won't understand. And so it's like, why would God do that? And then you see that even continue forward when you get into the New Testament where you have the religious leaders, the Pharisees, their eyes were, were blinded to the fact that Jesus was the true Messiah. In fact, they fought against against him. You see again when Pilate was one of the ones that was involved in Jesus' crucifixion. He he stare, like he he stared Jesus in the face and his wife even warned him, Hey, you need to be careful with this man. Don't don't do what what, you're, what the people are wanting you to do. And yet we see that their hearts were hardened Against this. And so why? Why in Scripture does God harden people's hearts? And so one of the examples that I wanted to draw from is actually in the book of Exodus. It's, it's when, you know, let me, let me tell the story a little bit just to, to set up the context of this verse. So when you, when you understand Exodus, Exodus is the story of Moses. It's, it's the redemption of the people of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. So the Israelites were there in Egypt, 400 years of slavery, just an extended period of time, and, and God raises Moses up. In Exodus 3, God encounters him uh, in, in, the, in the desert in a burning bush and says, Moses, you're the guy. I'm picking you. I want you to go and set my people free. And Moses was intimidated by that, but, but he, he gets up enough gumption and enough authority, and, and he goes out, and, he's, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, God is saying that he wants his people set free. I mean, Moses said it, plain as day, straight to Pharaoh, I want these people to be set free because I am coming on behalf of the Lord, and this is what the Lord says. Pharaoh had had an opportunity right there. He could have said, yep, okay, I get it. He could have had fear and trembling. He could have thought in his mind, oh my gosh, you had an encounter with God, and he said this to you, but he didn't. He didn't in that moment. In fact, he actually scoffed against God and said, who is God? Like, how, how dare you come and say, because the, the reality is during that time, uh, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was God. And so, you know, he, he said, how, how dare you bring another God, like I am the one that's God. And so Pharaoh denies God existence. And in fact, instead of him wanting to set the people of, of Israel free, set the Hebrews free, he actually made it harder on them and their slavery, made it more difficult, even impossible for them to accomplish their daily goals and tasks and quotas that they had to meet. But the thing that's incredible is God reaffirms his covenant in that time. So God brings Moses, wants the people set free. This is God's desire. He's a, a redemptive God. Sends Moses to do this, to have this encounter. It becomes harder for all the whole nation of Israel. And yet God, in his redemptive power, he has reestablished his covenant during that time with Abraham. He says, oh, no, 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 those are my people. I have called them by by my purposes and my calling, and and he remembered the covenant that he had established with uh, with Abraham, and that's so awesome, and so then he sends Moses back. He's like, hey, I know you went already, but I need you to go back another time to Pharaoh and tell him to set my people free, and this is what God says in this example of a hardened heart in Exodus chapter 7 verse 3. God speaks and says, but I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn or hard, so that I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. So why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? And I would say very clearly and plainly that God had already given Pharaoh multiple chances several times where he could have at least been open-minded about it, at least considered the possibility, at least had had a discussion, but he didn't. And so because of God and who he is, his desire is to redeem his people. So he shows his power. He shows his authority. And the way he does that is through miraculous signs and wonders. And and so that they can acknowledge, wow, look at what God is doing. He truly is the Lord. So whether it was the Hebrews watching the plagues uh, fall on on the nation of Egypt or the Egyptians themselves, they should have woken up. They should have at least acknowledged or, or considered but God is the one that he, he wants to be desired alone. In scripture, it talks about that he's a jealous God. He, he wants to be the one and only one that's worshiped. And so that wasn't taking place. It wasn't what was happening. And so we don't do that because of our sin. The reason we don't worship God fully and completely is because of our disconnect with him. At any time that, that you've felt disconnected from God, it's hard to worship him, isn't it? And so when we feel that disconnect, we have to evaluate our life. We have to look inter, you know, in, in, introspectively in our life and go, what's going on? What am I doing? What's in my life that's, that's causing this separation? It's usually some type of sin, perpetual sin, habitual sin, something that we've allowed in our life, allowed it to creep in at times. And it's sin in our life that separates. And so Anytime we have a continued pattern of sin, a lifestyle of sin, what that's going to cause is a hardness in our heart to the things of God, where we are then closed off, shut off. We've, we, we've built up a wall to be receptive to the Holy Spirit and what he's saying. So I would ask you right now, are you experiencing a, a disconnect from the Lord? Are you, are you yourself experiencing a hardness in your heart? because it's quite possible that you know, sin has kind of crept in in your life. I know for me and my story, this is very true. Uh, there was a, a season in my life, a period of time where that's exactly what I experienced, where I was doing the things that I wanted to do selfishly. I didn't care what anybody thought. I, I didn't care what anybody wanted, wanted to say to me. I knew what was right, but I was choosing what was wrong purposefully. And so that's, that's you know, the time when, when we experienced that hardness. I was hanging out with people that I shouldn't have been. I was acting selfishly, and I didn't care. I did what I wanted to do, and nobody could tell me otherwise. Now, I would ask you to raise your hand if all of us have been through a season of like, that, like that, but I don't have to because every single one of us have gone through a season like that. Right? Where we do what we want to do. We disregard everything else. And in that season, did you feel close to God? No way. Absolutely not. Our heart got hardened. And so hopefully, you know, there comes a point in time when we go, oh, like, are you kidding me? I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm allowing this in my life. And so Pharaoh, he was leading a pagan nation. And there are always consequences for sin. That's the reality. Because of the separation, because of the, the, the disconnect, there has to be some type of consequence. And Pharaoh could have turned his heart towards God, but he didn't. But the thing that I want to share with you is that God is forgiving. That's what we've got to remind ourselves. Even though we've gone through a period of our, of our lives where our heart was hard, like Pharaoh and the Pharisees and, and others, we can experience forgiveness. But there's a, a formula that's got to take place, there's a process. And so part of that is acknowledging our sin, where we recognize that our heart is hard, where we're we're walking that type of lifestyle. Then we have to confess that to God. And and God is amazing. He's just, and he forgives us of our sins, which is incredible. And then there's another step that I want to encourage you with. If you're feeling this right now, or when you do, if if at all possible, you ask for forgiveness to the person that you actually committed the sin against. And that's really hard, isn't it? I know I've been through this in my life. Like if I've said something to my wife that was brash or harsh or you know, selfish or critical, or, and, and I'm, I walk away and I'm like, ah, oh, and, you know, and I spend some time alone. I'm like, God, it's easier for me just to say, I forgive you, but I have to go to her and say, honey, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And, you know, and that's happened far too many times. Um, but we have to do that. The, that confession is extremely important. But he is just. And he forgives us, and he's amazing. And so there had to be some type of retribution for, uh, you know, Israel and the nation. And and the thing that I want to encourage you with, those of you that are here in the auditorium or watching online, is God always provides a way back to Himself. Always, always. And so that's the encouragement. So if you're struggling right now, there is a way back. There is restoration. And so we've got to experience that. And there may be some of you right now, you feel disconnected from God. Your lifestyle reflects that, and you're going, oh, I feel the heaviness. I feel this separation. And so what we've got to do is take this step back to God. And in Scripture, it says very clearly that there has to be repentance. And so repentance is simply a turning around where we're heading in a certain direction during this season of our life, and we've got to turn back to the Lord. And so maybe some of you, you've got to experience this repentance, this turning, or maybe if you're watching online, uh, you have to feel this and experience it. So, and, and then also, I, I want to give the opportunity for every single one of us to make a commitment to follow Christ, because uh, there is a possibility that maybe you made a commitment in the past, and you need to make a recommitment back to the Lord, or maybe for the very first time, Some of these questions, this series talking about defending our faith and apologetics and and, and some of these uh, topics that we've covered in scripture in depth talking about doubt and talking about creation and and the struggle uh, that we feel in our culture. Maybe you're to the point now where you just go, gosh, I I need to surrender. And, And that's what the Lord asks of us. Jesus comes and he meets you face to face. And he says right now, he says, will you follow me? Will you deny everything else? Will you surrender your life? And will you follow me? And that question is laid before us. And, and it's, it can be very thought-provoking, and it should be. And right now, your heart might be beating fast. You may feel some warmth or some goosebumps. And, and what that is, is that's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's God showing himself to you. Don't pass that by as just circumstantial. This is your moment. This is the time. And so I just want to encourage you, just like Moses showed up To Pharaoh and said hey God wants to set my people free just when Jesus said before Pilate he's like hey you know who I am you know what is truth I am the Lord and he was unwilling to acknowledge it and move forward with the crucifixion he's saying to you right now you have a chance and I just want to encourage you to respond in the moment right now and so I would ask that everybody here in the auditorium and those of you even watching online if you would bow your head and close your eyes Uh, Just right now, I want you to to think and reflect on your connection with the Lord, your faith. How strong is your faith? Do you have faith? Have you put your faith in Jesus? And so maybe right now, you know that you need to commit to Christ or recommit to him. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. And I would just ask that you would pray along with me. You can take my words and mimic them. You can copy them. There's nothing special about my words because God is looking at your heart Because he wants to soften it He wants you to open up your heart and your life to Christ And so maybe you pray along with me right now Pray something like God I know I need you God I'm desperate for you in my life I've been going my own way in my own direction I know it's not right I feel the shame I feel the guilt But I want to change And I can't do it on my own I need you I'm desperate for you So right now, Lord, I surrender to you. Jesus, I see that you're God's son, that you laid your life down for me so that I could be forgiven. Would you please forgive me? Would you restore me and make me whole? Come into my life, change me, make me new. Give me a fresh start. Give me a new beginning. I'm so desperate for you because I want to follow after you for all that you are. So I confess, I acknowledge, I receive your forgiveness in my life that you would change me. Lord, I love you I bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope that this was an encouragement for you. If you guys could do me a favor, go ahead and clap for our panel. It just was awesome. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Uh, what a great opportunity for us to, to connect with each other. And so I did just kind of want to share as, as we wrap up this Uh, this series and and everything that's being said I just I want to encourage you be strong in your faith like one of the one of the things talked about last week was about doubt and we struggle with doubt at different times don't we we talked about that when we face conversations and they're hard and they're difficult and that's reality for us we need to understand that and so I just want to encourage you if you're following Christ it's the right way it's the right thing we're on the right team And we win, Jesus does come back, he does return, he restores and that's amazing, and so celebrate that. But as you walk out and you celebrate that, show the love of Christ in very practical ways to every single person around you. Don't be judgmental, there doesn't need need to be more condemnation in the world and criticism, but show the love of Jesus and, and wear love out. Be encouraging, ask questions of your friends and family. Just be inquisitive on why they believe what they believe. I think it's very fair to just ask simple questions and, and just be that light that God has called you to be. And so I just would ask that, that you would feel that encouragement, that you would show the love of Jesus to other people at work, at home, in your family. You know, when you encounter them walking your dog in the neighborhood, whenever it is, God has put you in a specific place for that. And so as we close this series and close this time, I would just ask that everybody here in the auditorium, that you would stand to your feet and let's close with a worship song. Those of you online, just join your hearts with us as we close in worship.